fruitcake and family, they're sometimes the same. Traveling in meals and sweaters quite lame. Shopping in carols and lights that won't light. Trimming the tree as you try not to fight. Presents and stockings impatient young stares. Your Christmas still isn't as complicated as theirs. All right, well, good morning. My name is Josh Walters. I'm the campus pastor here at the Mount Pleasant campus, one of the teaching pastors here at Seacoast. And we're so excited that you're here to worship with us this weekend. I want to welcome you if you're joining us online or in one of the venues at an off-site campus, wherever you happen to be. We are glad that you're here as well. You know, I'm continually amazed by the number of folks that join us every single weekend for church online. Just this past weekend, we had every state in the U.S. and over 150 countries present with us online. Isn't that incredible? Just amazing what Pastor Seth and his team do. Uh, with Church Online, every single month there's 20,000 unique guests, people that stop by just to check out the Church Online experience. Just last weekend I met a couple named Ron and Denise that were here from New Jersey uh, that join us every weekend online, felt very involved, knew all about our foster care initiative, different things happening here at Seacoast, and they were down here to visit an actual campus for the very first time. While they were here, uh, they looked at some houses. They're about to approach retirement, and they're looking at moving down here, not because they had ever been to Charleston or knew anything about Mount Pleasant, uh, but because they love this church, and they love what God's doing in their lives because of it, and so they're going to pack up shop and head down here. And I thought, man, how cool is that? Just an exciting testimony there. So when we say we're glad that you're here with us, know that we really mean it from New Jersey to New Zealand, wherever in the world you happen to be. And we want to hear what God's doing in your life. If he's using the ministry of Seacoast uh, to cultivate a work in you, man, we want to hear about it. We would love for you to take just a minute. You could email us your story at mystory@seacoast.org. We'd love to be able to celebrate it with you and share it with the church when appropriate. Well, hey, last week we started a new series called Christmas. It's complicated. And Pastor Sean Wood from Freedom Church kicked it off for us by looking at two words found in Luke chapter 1, verse 28 and verse 30, when Mary is told that she was highly favored, that the favor of God was upon her. We talked about what is the favor of God, what do I need to know or do in order to have it in my life. If you missed it, I'd encourage you to check it out online. It was a great message. And this weekend, we're going to be looking at the one critical characteristic, the essential attribute uh, that actually goes unmentioned all throughout the uh, Christmas story, but really serves as a non-negotiable and, and bringing about the birth of our Savior. So I'm excited about it, but before we get started, why don't you join me and let's pray. God, we thank you so much for the privilege that it is to be able to come together as a church family and, uh, and go after you as we open your word, as we worship you. God, I pray that our hearts and minds would be open and attentive to whatever that you would want to do in us, that in some way we could catch a glimpse of the life available to us in Christ. So may you be present here with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, hey, let me start off by asking you a question. Have you ever wished that you had more faith? Maybe it was for something that you perceived to be kind of small, like inviting a friend with you uh, to come to church or a coworker. And up to this point, God or church or faith just hasn't been a part of the relationship at all. And you know that's what they need, but just to put it on the table and talk about it, there's a willingness in you, but it's just hard for you to actually take that next step. Or maybe it's in, in sharing your faith. You want to be able to talk about a work that God's done in your life. You want to share it with somebody because you know it would strengthen theirs, but you just don't know how to say it, how to get it out there. For some of you, maybe it's in, in worship, and, and you want to you wanna try raising your hands in worship for the first time, but there seems to be this glass ceiling right under your chin you know, that keeps your hands from going anywhere, so you've got to fake a yawn, you know, to try it out, you know, let's see what will come of it. Or maybe it's something a little, a little more serious. 
Uh, maybe you've been in a season where you're, you're unemployed, and you know that God has a purpose in it. He is your provider. He's allowed you to get education and experience, but now somehow you've gotten to a place where you're in between jobs, doors don't seem to be opening, you're praying about it, trying to trust God with it, but man, you just find yourself beat up and busted over it. I remember when Katie and I first moved here, that was me for about a seven-month stretch. Fresh out of college, thought I was a normal dude, I would get out and network, and man, Katie and I, it, it was a tough season. I couldn't get out and network. We were new in town, I didn't know anybody here. We had to sell our second car. I remember living for nine o'clock and one o'clock because that's when the kids had a morning rest and an afternoon nap. Uh, I didn't just need faith for the season, I needed faith for the day. I was just beat up over it. What good is gonna come of this? It was a struggle for me, I needed more faith. Maybe for you this is a season of, of firsts and it's the first Christmas maybe in a new place. You've moved away from friends and family and loved ones and Christmas for you isn't marked by any of the gifts that you've gotten in the past but by the people that you celebrate it with and you're in a new place and it's just different. Maybe it's the loss of a loved one and now you're approaching the holidays and it's going to be the first one without them here. The pictures aren't going to be the same. The experience isn't going to be the same. The place that you go may be different. And you know that God's with you. You know that God loves you. But you find yourself searching for purpose in it. God, I wish I had more faith to get through this. Have you ever known anybody that had great faith? Somebody that, that as you kind of compared yours to theirs, you were like, man, he or she is just has a bold faith, a certainty as to who God is and what he's capable of in their lives. I remember a couple years ago when Robert Morris came here to Seacoast, he shared his testimony about what God had done in their finances. Uh, there had been several times where God had called them to give everything away, where they've given several houses away, over a dozen vehicles away. Man, I heard him tell those stories and I found myself questioning like, if God said that to me, like would I even tell anybody? You know, <laughs> would I have the faith to do that? Would I just kind of jot it down in a journal and tuck it away, you know, far, far away? How do you talk about that with your wife? Hey, babe, how was your day? I love that shirt. You're so pretty. House looks awesome. Oh, how was my day? It was good. God told me to give everything away. <laughs> I was like, what do you do? I don't know. I've heard stories of big, bold faith like that. I've also heard some stories of, of funny faith. There was a guy that used to be on staff here right as Katie and I moved to Charleston named Jim Miles. And uh, man, he just had a, a hunger, a boldness to his faith. And he believed, John 14, when Jesus said, those who believe in me will do even greater things than me. And one of the things that Jesus did a lot of was raise people from the dead. And as pastors, we don't see a whole lot of dead people. But one thing we all see is dead animals on the side of the road. You know where this is going. So periodically driving around town, he'd see an animal that had been hit, and he would pull over with a sincere heart, full of faith, get out of car, and lay hands on that rigor mortis animal, <laughs> praying that God's will be done, that he could raise from the dead if he wanted to. And I thought, I don't know that I would tell anybody that. <laughs> like, that's real faith. You also might need some real hand sanitizer, <laughs> you know. There's probably some germs up in there, you know. But for both of those stories, totally different storyline, but for both guys, there was an audacious faith, a certainty that God could show up in any way and, and do whatever he wanted to through them. Can you imagine what your life would be like if on any given Monday, any given day of the week, you wake up and there was a certainty in your heart that God was with you, that he loved you, that he was, he was for you, 
that he was going to walk with you, to be with you in and through and over and around anything that life might bring your way. See, I ask you that only because I believe it's that measure of faith that God would desire for each of us, that we would have that kind of certainty in him. And whether or not we've ever actually thought about it or, or processed it, that measure of faith is also the kind that's required in order for us to believe the Christmas story. See, for most of us, we've heard it a thousand times. If we were to break up here at our campus or at any of our campuses and me ask you to share it with one another, chances are you know the storyline well enough to where you could tell your neighbor. You could tell it to one of your kids as you, you tuck them in at night. Consequently, because we are so familiar with it, it's easy for us to kind of gloss over the incredible faith that's required in order for us to believe it. Such a foundational story in our faith. So today I thought we would start off by reading the Christmas story, but we would do it a little bit differently and try to maybe do it through the eyes of Asher. Uh, Asher is my three-year-old, and I read him a couple books every week, and it's a uh, special and maddening experience every single time because he asks questions after every single sentence. Uh, why is that dog so big? Why is he red? I had never seen a red dog. How does Mama Bear's meatloaf taste? Like, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not patient anymore. I don't have any more creative answers. I'm not going to try to engage. Just let me get through this page. I used to say, let me finish the book, and we'll ask questions as long as you want. And then I realized, like, that's not going to happen. You know? Now I'm like, just let me finish this sentence. Just a sentence. Just stop. You know? It doesn't work. So we're going to read the Christmas story through the eyes of Asher, questioning the, the verses that require incredible faith for us. But we're going to do it a little different than that. We're going to kind of insert some America's Got Talent. Have you ever seen that show? So people from all across the country come to a central location where there's three judges that have been empowered with the buzzer. The people will perform their talent, and if at any point the judge feels like you actually don't have a talent, please stop, don't ever do that again. You know, they'll come over to their buzzer and hit the buzzer. So as we read the Christmas story, question a passage that might have or require us to have great faith, I'm going to come over and hit the buzzer. Are you with me? I wanted to do something that would reverb in your soul forever so that when you read the Christmas story, it would never sound the same again. So here we go, starting in Luke chapter 1. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. Okay. So here we are. Verse 1, <laughs> in order to believe the very first passage of this story, we have to believe that there's a God. We have to believe that he has authority over angels, and we have to believe that he can send those angels to earth to interact with people. That's not normal, okay? <laughs> Requires huge faith right out the gate. Second verse, the virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. All right, so we just heard that the Lord was in heaven, that he had actually sent the angel to Mary. But now the angel shows up to Mary to say that the Lord is with you. So the Bible tells us that, that God is Father, Son, and Spirit, but by the angel telling Mary that the Lord was with her, tells me that it's possible for God to be with us, be present in our lives, and us not even be aware of it. I mean, the implications of the first two verses are huge for us. He goes on, Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Possibly the only normal verse you know, in this whole story. I'd be thinking the same thing. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. 
he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. Okay. That was cute. We got a little technological delay there with our buzzer. I don't have any problem with the angel telling Mary that she was going to conceive. Hopefully, that was one of the things she was kind of excited about, being that she was engaged in all this kind of a byproduct of marriage, hopefully, at some point. The only issue I have with what the angel told Mary is that she was going to conceive a boy and he was going to be called the son of God. <laughs> you know? Like, this is going to be a little bit different pregnancy and it's going to require some faith on your part. He goes on. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever and his kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Okay. Not going to explain that one, but it was worth two buzzes there because you can understand it for yourself, hopefully. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of the Most High God. Again, saying that the baby is going to be called the Son of God. Not going to be a normal child. And even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, she who is said to be unable to conceive in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. Again, might should do another buzzer for Elizabeth conceiving in her old age. But either way, you get it over and over and over again in this passage. Incredible faith on our part is required just to believe it. The implications of it, not only as a foundational story for our faith, but for our lives today, are incredible. But in preparing for the message this weekend, what struck me wasn't the number of times or the measure of faith required for us as believers, but in Mary's response. In verse 38, she says this, And Mary said, Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Then of the countless things that she could have said, she said this, Let it be, let it be, let it be. All right, cut it off. Let it be. Let it be to me according to your word. Then the angel departed from her. It sounds simple. You know, for us, to, whatever God might be calling us to, whatever steps of faith, whatever kind of faith he might desire for us to have in him, for us to just say those words, okay, God, let it be to me. Let it be to me as you have said. But the reality is faith just isn't that easy. Faith is incredibly complicated. Look at these verses there on your outline. The first one is Hebrews 11.1. 1. It says, now faith is being sure of what we hope for, but certain of what we do not see. 11.6, and without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Matthew 17.20, truly I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. So the Bible tells us that faith is this invisible, intangible necessity, and that without it, we cannot please God. But fortunately, we only need a little bit of it. That's just complicated. Because when I look at my faith and compare it with somebody like Robert Morris or any, any number of you that I look at your life and think, man, he or she has great faith. Mine isn't that much. And I say, well, I only need a little, so I guess it's a good thing. It only makes me question, man, what is the deal with faith that's complicated? And more importantly, what do I need to know or do in order to grow in my faith? So that I can cultivate in me the same strength of faith that Mary had, that whatever God might ask of me, my response could be, let it be. So for the rest of our time today, there on the back of your outline sheets, I'd like for us to look at four let it be facts about faith. 
What does scripture tell us about faith that'll help me grow, that I could respond much in the same way that she did? So number one there on your outlines is faith is established by hearing. Faith is established by hearing. How many of you remember the first time that you told your significant other, I love you? Remember that? For, uh, for Katie and I, it was two different times, kind of an interesting story. For me, we were in Charlotte. At that point in my life, I was working at Ernie's Gifts and Cards in Richland Fashion Mall in Columbia. Life was looking good, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I was a peddler of gift cards and beanie babies. No wonder she loved me, right? <laughs> you know? And uh, we were at her parents' house in Charlotte, and I was sitting down on the ground leaning up on a futon, I don't think a futon should be a part of any I love you story, but uh, that's where I was and felt like that was the moment, so I shared it with her, and uh, it was special. For Katie, we were actually here in Charleston and uh, had come down for the day. It was actually her birthday. I drove a Grand Cherokee at that time, had the back of the Grand Cherokee filled up with presents, and we drove down, and we were walking around the market and that kind of stuff, and Katie's mom had said, call me when y'all get there just so I know you're okay, and so Katie was walking around a store, and I remembered that, and so I called Miss Debbie, hey, just want you to know we're here, everything's okay, and you know, got off the phone. Then Katie and I kind of made our way down to the battery. I had this picnic blanket and envisioned this kind of set time over the battery, and all of a sudden it started to rain. Like, this was not part of my plan. You know, so we folded the seats down in the Cherokee. I laid the blanket in the back. We sat crisscross applesauce and exchanged gifts right there in the back of the car. And uh, at one point, this moment of panic came over her. And she was like, oh, I didn't call my mom. I was like, oh, I did it. I did it for you when you were in the store. Don't worry about it. And she said, oh, I love you. Everything about you. I I like you. (laughs) I was like, no, 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 no. Come on. You can't backpedal. (laughs) Like, you can't do that. Let me hear it. Tell me, you know. Because in a relationship, love is this invisible, intangible necessity. As soon as you get together with someone and realize there could be something here, it starts moving that direction. But once those words are spoken, they establish something. They draw a line in the sand. They put a stake in the ground. You're either moving forward from this point or you're moving nowhere. Faith establishes, uh, is established by hearing. Romans 10, 17 says it this way. So faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. His word has the ability to establish things in our lives, uh, to to activate movement, to grow, to to take us to places that we may not have gone otherwise. How many of you know there's a a huge difference between hearing and listening? A couple weeks ago, Katie and I were sitting on the couch, and she was processing her day with me, some stuff that she was walking through, how she felt about it, and we were kind of at the point in the conversation where it was really important that I be attentive so that I could respond appropriately. And the only issue was that the, the TV was on and Blue Bloods, this television show that I like, is kind of like a mix between Law and & Order and The Brady Bunch. Uh, just an awesome show. And right at that point in the conversation, I had somehow shifted and engaged in this show. And, uh, and I realized that I didn't hear the input coming from the side anymore. So I turned to Katie and she said, did you even hear anything that I said? My initial response was, this is not going to be good for a brother, you know. I was like, yes, I heard what you said. And then, then realized that somehow I had heard what she said. I was able to recite the next two sentences, but I wasn't engaged at all. I wasn't listening to what she was saying. How many of you guys have a testimony of a similar situation? Okay, hands all over the room. We understand. It's an issue. We're growing. Ladies, be patient, you know. But it's easy for us to hear things and not listen. The same is true with the Word of God. 
It's easy for us to hear a word from his spirit in a message on the weekend or maybe in our quiet time as we read his word throughout the week or in a worship song or in a conversation with a friend. It's easy for us to hear it come in, but us actually not listen to it, process it, pray over it, uh, that it would bring about any growth or action in our lives. Faith is established by hearing. Number two there on your outlines, faith is proven by actions. Faith is proven by actions. Now, if faith is established by hearing would be the equivalent of, of saying I love you, faith is proven by actions uh, would be the equivalent of actually getting married. You know, to paraphrase the great theologian Beyonce, if you like it, then you need to put a ring on it. You know? <laughs> the girls can only hear I love you, baby, for so long. It's like, show me the money. You know, I want to believe it. You know? At some point, every couple, when they've started walking down that road, people start asking, like, hey, are y'all ever going to, you know, get married, you know, do the deal. Our faith compels us to act. James 2, 14 through 17 says it this way. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. See, there's a difference for all of us in professing faith and possessing faith. There's a big difference between us having a a said faith and a saving faith. Uh, Romans 10, 17 says, For whoever uh, confesses with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believes in your heart that God raised him from the dead will be saved. When we have a professing faith or a said faith, we can believe the truth of God's word or say that we believe the truth of God's word. But if it doesn't cause us to live differently, then it should cause us to ask some questions. A faith that benefits you is a faith that benefits others. Part of the problem with this is that oftentimes we say what we think, but we do what we believe. So if we say, I know what God's word says about relationships, I know what he says about purity, and until Katie is my wife, she is the bride of Christ, and so I need to treat her that way, as if she is God's bride, and sexual purity. But because of our situation, uh, we have to live together financially, it's the best option, we struggle in this area. When we say, I know what God's word says in any area of our lives, but then go and do Uh, whatever is most convenient for us. We're saying, this is what I think about God's word, but I'm gonna do what I believe. If you're questioning the sincerity of your faith, if you're questioning the the authenticity of your faith, of your relationship with God, then you need look no further than your actions. I would say it's important for none of us to beat ourselves up over any one situation, circumstance, or struggle, because none of us are going to get it right every time. There's strongholds and temptations, even once we're Christ followers, things that are just going to be hard for us to shake off, that the Spirit of God and His patience and love for us is going to walk with us and help us do. But we can be certain if our faith is sincere, it's going to cause us, it's going to lead us to live differently. And if faith is established by hearing, when the Spirit of God speaks something into us, He's going to establish some things in our lives that make us want to live differently. So faith is established by hearing. It's proven by actions. Number three there on your outline, faith is tested by trials. Faith is tested by trials. How many of you have ever seen one of these life-proof cases for your phone? I've had a number of different iPhones in the past. Every single one of them have had a cracked screen until I got this life-proof 
case. Uh, they, they market it as being virtually indestructible. I've seen it run over by cars, thrown across rooms. Uh, I hand it to my kids, you know, willingly <laughs> when we're in line at a store and they gnaw on it and chew on it and drop it all over the place and I never have to worry about it breaking. In fact, shortly after I got it, we were painting some cabinets in our laundry room and Ari uh, walked out in the garage. He's our one-year-old, two-year-old at that time and uh, I had a can of paint open, my phone had music playing on it, and he picked it up, and check out what he did. Dropped it right in the can of paint. What an awesome opportunity. It was such a blessing to me. There's no easy way to clean that up. I reached my hand in paint, slung it, paint everywhere. The music was still playing, you know, because it's a life-proof case, (laughs) but it made a hot mess. Now, these phones aren't just pumped out, you know, with the ability to do that. They went through a series of testing, and in fact, when I got it in the mail, it came with a fake phone in it, and I had to submerge it in water for a period of time just to make sure that that it would do what they insured me that it would do. Now, let's pretend just a minute that we were to give this case a personality. Maybe we even give it a name. We can call it you, okay? And you signed up to be this good-looking, strong case, but all of a sudden, you find yourself getting run over, thrown across the room, kicked around, dropped in cans of paint. You're like, man, this is not what I signed up for. And there's no different in our faith. Our faith is tested by trials so that it be proven true. 1 Peter 1.7 says it this way, trials show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. James 1.2-4 says it this way, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. See, the key to us as Christ followers, being mature and complete, not lacking anything, doesn't rest in our ability to get it right every time. Doesn't rest in our ability to make all the right decisions, uh, but to keep moving forward to know that there is a purpose in our trials. If you're in a season of life right now that leaves you questioning, man, God, where are you? Things are not working out how I planned. This is a much more difficult season than I would have imagined. If you would use words like burden or frustration or anger or bitterness to describe this season that you're in, maybe today in some way God's wanting to turn it for you so that you might see it as a joy. God's wanting to use what it is that you're walking through to perfect your faith to test your faith so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If they go through that degree of testing to protect a phone, which someday is gonna wind up in the trash, how much more important is it that our faith, which if found true, would lead us to inherit eternal life? I wanna know that my faith isn't just words. I want God to love me enough to test my faith that I can be certain in the words that I say, that I can be certain in the, the things that I believe that it too for me would inherit eternal life. So it's established by hearing, proven by actions, tested by trials. Number four there on your outline, faith is strengthened by stories. Faith is strengthened by stories. I can't help to think but God in his grace would allow for Mary and Elizabeth to get pregnant at the same time. Can you imagine an angel showing up to you, say the favor of God is upon you. You are going to become pregnant, conceive a child that's going to be the son of God. You know, just what a miraculous, supernatural experience. And who's going to believe it? Ain't nobody going to believe that. You show up, hey, y'all aren't married yet. Where'd that baby come from? It's God's. You know, it's like, you're weird. You know, I'm not hanging out with Mary as much. You know, she is off. But the fact that 
he would allow the same experience, an angel to visit Elizabeth, so that as they come together, they could rejoice and celebrate over a real encounter, that their faith would be strengthened. Several years ago, Katie and I were in a dark season in marriage. Uh, I would describe what God did in our relationship as nothing short of miraculous. Uh, I never thought that we would get to this place. Uh, It wasn't what we set out for. Katie would tell you that she wasn't sure if she loved me anymore. Uh, She would say, I don't know that I want to be with you anymore. I remember laying in bed at night and having to, to fall asleep with earbuds in because the thoughts that I would have as I just laid there on my pillow were so bad that I couldn't go to sleep. It was so stressful. I'd wake up with a headache or earache from sleeping on my ear with my earbud in just because I had to have worship music going. I lived for nine o'clock and one o'clock each day when the kids had a morning rest and an afternoon rest just so that I could be in the word of God. I didn't just need faith for a season. I needed faith for the day, faith for the morning just to get through it because it was such a tough season. But now for the two of us, I love sitting down with couples. I don't think Katie and I are the best long-term couples to counsel anyone just because of five kids and life. If you don't mind crying in dirty diapers in a counseling session, then we might be the ones for you. But I don't think there is a better ER, urgent care counseling couple. I want to meet with the people who are at the end of their rope that question, is it even possible for God to restore or redeem or bring life from such a dead place? Because that is exactly where he met us. We were at the end of ourselves, and he took some passages of Scripture and made them handlebars for me. That God draws close to the brokenhearted, that he saves those who are crushed in spirit. I love to meet with couples that that feel like they have no hope. They don't know what could come of it so that they could piggyback on ours for a while to say, let me tell you what God can do. He told me, I I don't want to take you back to an old place, to a love that you once had, but I'm going to take you somewhere new. I want you to love her with my heart. And man, as we sit down with couples and share our story, you can see it strengthen their faith. It cracks a door, lets a little bit of light in that maybe there's a way. Maybe God could show up. Revelation 12, 11 says it this way. They triumphed over him, talking about the enemy, by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. Meaning there was victory available for, for believers. One, because of what Jesus did on the cross in dying on the cross for our sin but then two, over the word of their testimony. When we share our stories, whatever it is that he's done in our lives, uh, it strengthens other people's faith. It has the ability to allow them to experience triumph and victory for themselves. The tough thing for us is that that's not easy to do. In order for us as Christ followers to point to a resurrection, to point to a, a new work, to new life that God has done in our lives, we also have to point to a crucifixion, a death. How did you get there? What decisions did you make? What kind of people were you running with? How did you see God's word? How did you live that out? It's, it's humiliating. It's humbling. It's not natural. It's not easy. No part of you is going to want to sit down with somebody and say, you know what? Let me tell you about the really embarrassing, stupid things that I've done. <laughs> you know? But it's when we do that, when we can talk about the work that God's done in our life, how he's changed us, how he's transformed us. When we share our stories that lives are changed, that other people's faith is strengthened. This is one of the reasons we're so passionate about small groups here at Seacoast. We believe that significant life change takes place in the context of community. Not because you are some kind of superhero, but because God is actively at work in our lives. And when we share the stories of what he's done in us, man, it strengthens other people's faith. 
In closing, I'm reminded of a guy here at our Mount Pleasant campus named Glenn Braddock. He's been here at Seacoast for about 10 years, been a believer for a long time, grew up in the church, and over the years, he's, he's battled on autoimmune disease that as time has rendered him pretty much incapable of, of moving. Uh, he's been through just about every kind of experimental treatment and medicine, been to the Mayo Clinic. Doctors have tried tons of different things, and a couple weeks ago, he woke up on a Thursday morning and uh, was, was essentially paralyzed, couldn't move. And uh, his daughter found him, took him to the ER. They did a ton of tests, and, and doctors were kind of raising their hands, saying, Glenn, we don't know what else that we can do at this point. And so they, they got together. They made a pretty aggressive uh, plan that they were going to start the next week. And that weekend, a girl from his small group here at church called to check on him. His daughter answered and uh, said, he's actually here in the hospital. So she drove up to the, the hospital and said, hey, our small group's praying for you back at the church, but I wanted to drive up here just to hold your hands and pray with you myself. So she did, and that next morning, uh, Glenn sat up in bed, stood up, and was able to walk out of the hospital without the need for any of the medication or treatments that the doctors had laid out for him. He's a pretty active guy. Yeah, that's incredible. Worth clapping for. Pretty active guy. And... Over the next couple weeks, he was jogging some and getting active, and the doctors called him and asked him to come back in so that they could figure out why he was well. <laughs> How many of you have had that happen before? So he goes in, they do blood work, and the blood work looked totally different than just a couple days before when he had been in the ER, and the doctor said, Glenn, what do you attribute this to? What, what do you think has happened here? And, and he said, God healed me. He said, up to that point, I, I knew God's word. And I always had faith for other people. I always believed that God could heal others, but I never believed that he could heal me. You know, I can't help but wonder as we head into Christmas, what if the work that God is wanting to do in each of us is to cultivate a faith in us, a certainty in who he is, that whatever it is that he wants to do in us, if it's a healing for us physically, if it's a healing in our relationship, if, there, if there's a way that he might be wanting to establish himself in, in your life, a truth that he's speaking into you, that we would have the kind of faith that Mary did and not just believe it for others, but be able to say, God, let it be to me. Let it be to me, as you've said. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your word. And I'm thankful that it does not return void. God, that it serves as substance in our lives, that when you speak to us, it can establish, uh, God, something from nothing. So I pray for us today that our hearts and minds would be open and attentive to any work that you might want to do in us. God, that our, our faith would be established first in you, that we'll be able to trust you as a good dad, as a loving father that wants to move mightily in our lives. God, I pray for those of us this, this season that might need faith to get through the day, faith to get through the week, that you meet us here. Your word says you draw close to the brokenhearted. God, I pray that you would be physically present that you would draw close to them, those that may be walking through trials, that in some way today you would allow us to see them differently as a source of strengthening for our faith, that we might be mature and complete, not lacking anything. God, as we go to respond, be present with us. Allow our faith to, le faith to lead to action, that we would take steps towards you. In Jesus' name, amen.